Bill Burr is in Star Wars now? When he turned around, I was like, okay, anybody can be in Star Wars now. Yeah, I did not see it coming. We are back for part two of uh, analyzing the Mandalorian as uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, my name is Paxton Farrar, and I'm here with Peter Lansdahl. Hello, how are your listeners doing? Uh, yeah, so if you missed the first part of this, the first bonus episode, uh, go back and give that a listen. Uh, it's our episode 63 in the feed, uh, Why the Mandalorian is Great D&D Part 1. So we're continuing with the premise of analyzing the Mandalorian for tools and techniques that we can use as dungeon masters to make better D&D adventures. We assume you've seen the Mandalorian, or this is not going to make sense. And again, if you haven't seen it yet, go ahead and give it a watch. So in the first episode, we covered uh, Mandalorian chapters one through three. So for this one, we're going to cover uh, the rest of the first season, episodes four, five, six, seven, and eight. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be a little more zoomed out, a little more, more of a macro uh, look at some of the structural things that they do um, and go, go scene by scene a little bit less. So broadly, we can break this down into the two acts. If, mm-hmm. if the whole Mandalorian first season is a three-act structure, very clearly the first three episodes are first act. And then the middle three are act two. So that's the defending the farmers from bandits episode, mm-hmm. the uh, gunslinger where he helps a kid track down a bounty on Tatooine, and then... Um, the prisoner, which is basically a dungeon crawl in a space prison ship with a crew of colorful characters. Um, And each of them are sort of a side quest, one shot. And then we're going to talk about the third act, which is episodes seven and eight, which really almost feel like one episode. So we're probably going to talk about them more like a single episode. Yeah, so if we're just going to look at episodes four, five, and six and just kind of like what what are the common things? What do they do as episodic sessions that makes it really easy to do it as a game? These are the things that are found to be common throughout the three filler episodes. We have our side characters that are introduced very quickly. Our job is defined, and our jobs have multiple little tasks within them. And finally, there is a conclusion that leaves the player feeling complete after the story. Act twos are where all the problems are, famously. And, you know, you read any screenwriting book and it's like, oh, you're going to be in the wilderness here. It happens a lot in DD campaigns, too. Introductions yeah. are so easy. Uh, endings, right? You kill the big bad. Oh, it's simple. But, like, what do you do in the middle? How do you get there? And I think that's how these get to be called, like, filler episodes. Mm-hmm. But since we're looking at it through the lens of D&D... I think you had a better analog for uh, what these are. Yeah, so for D&D campaigns, I like to think of them running in two categories. You have your serial, your big, huge campaigns, and these are your sit down, do an adventure, and you continue with the next week. The other ones are the episodics. These ones are your sit down, and you try and do the whole context of the adventure in one sitting. 
And so these middle three, these are very much those episodic adventures where you just right. do... Right, side side quests. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're side quests, right? Where, you know, you don't want to push the main quest yet. You want to live a little bit of the life of a bounty hunter as an adventurer. And so you do these little tiny jobs. They- Maybe as the DM, you haven't come up with the ending yet, so you need a couple more sessions to fill. Mm-hmm. For me, right. and, these happen yeah. when I like watch a cool movie, and I'm like, I want to make that into a D&D game, but I don't want to make a whole campaign of it. So today right. will be oh, our okay. Ocean's Eleven session. This is a lot more like what we do on, our ma- on the main show on this feed, <laughs> Day Players, where we do everything is a one shot all of our campaign arcs are done in one sitting uh fully improvised and then we dice it up into a bunch of little episodes but um some of the pressures of like you gotta gotta get it done gotta conclude the story Mm -hmm. while we're sitting here because uh we're not coming back to this and it's really hard if you haven't done Mm -hmm. any sort of one shots before you should start trying them because you quickly learn about your weaknesses as a GM. Um, for me, before I did one shots, uh, I was really bad at doing endings. You mean like a, a conclusion, a conclusion to the narrative arc of of the session, the play session? Yes, yes, exactly. When you do serial games or long campaign games, you don't really need an ending because you could just keep playing, right? The adventure is always around the corner. Um, because before that point, I would just, you know, keep the adventure going or not really have, like, a plot to follow. It was just people d- doing stuff without conclusions. And as soon as I started doing one-shots, I had to really think about, okay, what's the beginning, what is the middle, and what is the end? Mm-hmm. And once I started... The three-act three act structure within yeah. each within each campaign, within each one-shot slash episode. Yeah, and as soon as I started thinking that way, it's much easier to expand that to a longer campaign. Yeah, and I I will say that these episodes, so the first three were like, they screamed D&D structure to us. Uh, Mm -hmm. It varies a little more in uh, the the next five episodes, episodes, you know, four through eight. Um, They are a little more TV, but there's, there's still a lot I think we can learn from them. So what are what are the big takeaways? First thing is that the first scene, we aren't where the Mandalorian left off. We aren't continuing from the last episode. We are in the middle of going to the next thing. We're not starting the job. It's not exactly in media res, but it's like you are going to this planet to find safety. Uh, right. In media, in, media, in media SRS would be like... Um, if he was already on the job. Yes. Which they do a little bit in episode six, The Prisoner, where he's he's going mm-hmm. to, to, he's already set up a job to go with some of his old pals to do a job, but each episode sort of starts with travel. Yes. Because like, he's, he's on the run. Mm-hmm. The, the tool there, the thing to learn is that you don't have to be where you left off last, right? Add some narrative distance between the last session and the current one. We don't need that boring travel. Just get them to where they need to be and to start the story. And then after right. we have that introduction, we introduce the side characters. Uh, yeah, so for the side characters, uh, in the f- episode four, there's Kara Dune, the shock trooper. Um, in episode five, there is Taro Calican, 
who is a wannabe Han Solo bounty hunter type character. And then there's a whole smorgasbord of colorful uh, criminals in The Prisoner. Uh, did we talk about Crow in the last uh, last episode? Crow? Crow. It's an improv term. Um, oh, no, I don't think so. It stands for character, relationship, objective, and vocation, or where, if you're square. <laughs> okay. Um, basically, it's when you are improving. It's what you can rely on to do something in a scene. If you know you do a character thing, you act out a relationship with another player, you try and get your objective, or you do something with where you are. And when we introduce our side characters here, we very quickly learn most of the aspects of Crow. We learn who the character is, we learn what the relationship is with the Mandalorian, and we learn what their objective is. Okay, so let's let's take episode four, mm -hmm. Sanctuary, or chapter four, Sanctuary, episode four of the Mandalorian, which is, um, it's very clearly the seven samurai is, yes. is what the, the structure, that's what this episode's based on, mm -hmm. uh, where poor, poor farmers ask a warrior to protect them from bandits, and then that warrior rounds up other warriors. In Seven Samurai, famously, there's seven of them. Uh, in this episode, there's just one, Cara Dune, the drop, uh, what they call it, shock trooper? Yeah, shock yeah, trooper. Yeah, yeah. And so you want to go over the crow for her? So I, I sort of get this. I'm, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, don't, I don't grok it quite yet. Okay, yeah. So if we want to look at Cara, uh, first one, character. She is a rebel uh, shock trooper. Former... Uh, trooper though yeah yeah former trooper um her relationship and now that's really with the mandalorian um at the beginning it's kind of like a rivalry as in this town ain't big enough for the two of us but it quickly grows into a uh nice friendship as they bond uh while protecting the town um her objective mm -hmm. is to just lay down and lay low and uh where is really that's not really related to the specific character that's really like the context of the scene and that I mean, she's always in that restaurant from what i've seen yeah i guess that's true she has her she has her location which is the mm -hmm. uh country bar all right so why don't we try this for uh the kid in episode five the gunslinger whose name is uh, toro calican mm -hmm. um yeah i do want to say that one thing about the mandalorian and this is maybe too subjective but they do star wars names really well like all, all the people's names sound like Star Wars names, which I th I think they do a better job than the the sequel trilogy because the sequel trilogy it's like what's your name Finn? Well, that's that sounds quasi Star Wars, but Toro Calican yeah sounds that's, pretty Star Wars. It's a good Star Wars name, but yeah, yeah, it's more Star Wars than Rose. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Anyways, we can do the crow exercise with Toro. That one's a pretty easy one. His character, he's a rookie gunslinger. Mm. He wants to be... A, his relationship with uh, the Mandalorian, also an easy one, it's a mentorship. He is the student, the Mandalorian is the master. Right. His objective is he wants to be a bounty hunter, and he'll do anything to do it. Right. And then where is, I guess, Tatooine? The other thing each of these episodes has is a... You know, they have a side quest defend this village from bandits, help this help this young guy hunt down his first bounty, and break this guy out of 
jail. The job is defined. And each of those are broken up into smaller parts, these smaller side quests. And the important part about that is that when you design these one-shots, you want to think of your big quest in little tiny tasks um, with like right. a big conclusion task and a bunch of little ones building up to it. The advantage with that is that you can have that one-shot last as little or as long as you want. If it takes too long, cut some tasks. If you need more time and want to do more stuff, you can add some tasks, right? Let's say you need to uh, first round up the villagers, like in episode four, or chapter four of the Sanctuary. If that task takes, I don't know, an hour of game time and you had planned for it to take 30 minutes, well, you just cut out a later task or if it took little RP time, right? You expected them to chat or work harder on it. Well, mm. now you just do some extra tasks later, right? Like, oh, I guess we'll sneak into their base and do this before we go into the big fight. Because right, so in, in episode four, they're preparing the town to fight this uh, these bandits off with their big ATAT, at uh, ATST? ATST, I yeah. think. ATSD. So they they have to get the villagers ready. So they have to train them how to fight with sticks, with mm -hmm. blasters. Have to build some fortifications. Right. Exactly. Like if if you were to do this game at the table and you had planned for like a two or three hour session and you went through all the training and preparing and you still have two hours left and you don't want to immediately jump to that final battle, just add some more tasks in there. Right. You have to find mm -hmm. more people. You, f you need to buy more guns. Maybe you should do some recon. Maybe they have a scouting party and you gotta like hide stuff so that they don't realize you're fortifying the town. So what one thing I thought also about this episode was the the scene where they they go out, they find out that the there's an ATST running around on this planet that the bandits have, and they go back to the town and they say, uh, bad news, you can't live here anymore. And that's like, you know, that's funny. It was a good, mm -hmm. you know, it was a good laugh line. But the response I thought was, you know, the, the villagers say, you know, we, we planted these, you know, my grandfather seeded these, these uh, krill ponds, you know, we can't move. It's our livelihood and it's attached to, you know, our... Uh, you know our our heritage and everything, and I thought that was so. That gives an emotional reason uh, for the story to go in the direction that you want it to as the DM, rather than a physical block. Now, if such an interaction were to happen at a table, Paxton, uh, some might consider that railroading, right? A player might be upset, saying, "Well, hold on, why can't I leave?" And it kind of is, but I think of it more as telling them that their solution to the problem isn't good enough. And this is something that you can do more often than you think at the table. Yeah, again, thinking of the Mandalorian as the party, this is essentially a rejection of the adventure that you have planned as the DM, which sometimes happens. You know, some, Sometimes it's because you, as the DM, didn't make it enticing enough or you left too many uh, cons and not enough pros for the particular adventure there's a temptation to have an easy way out say okay just move or whatever and players will sometimes come up with things like that they'll just be like well why don't why don't we just burn the house down and that'll kill the the <laughs> goblins it's sometimes you do have to just stop and say like hey guys this is a bad idea um 
have a little metagaming, but it's better if you can do it within the narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you, you always want to answer those questions while role-playing rather than, you know, with your meta hats on. And also, same thing in episode five when, uh, you know, um, mm-hmm. so the Mandalorian asks for him, asks uh, Toro Calican to give him the tracking fob for the bounty and thinking that the Mandalorian's just going to, you know, go off and get the bounty himself. Toro smashes it and then says, ah, I've got it all memorized in here. And that, that I thought was a clever way to stop the players, you know, the Mandalorian in this case, from uh, doing something which would make the quest easy and more boring. Make it so your party can't just abandon your NPC and do the job on its own. Right. Yeah. Uh, if you see your party starting to do that, then you can... Yeah, having the character smash it is better than having the fob like mysteriously stop working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have your characters do things. Don't let just things happen. Another thing I wanted to talk about is in episodes four and five, the Mandalorian gets the quest in the episode. Um, and the way they, they so in, in episode four, he gets it because two of the villagers come and like beg him to help. And I thought that was something that uh, I, I've never actually done and I'm totally going to use now is having two NPCs make the make the the request make the call to adventure because normally it's a single npc saying i have a job for you so i thought having two npcs because then they're able to play off each other so i i thought that was a good trick and i'm going to use that um and then the other one is when the kid caro toro not caro (laughs) toro calican Mm -hmm. um so when he makes the request that uh, he says i have a job i want some help and then he admits it's his first job. That is two things about that. One, that's a, an emotional, an emotional play. I, as I think you said, you know, it's making making the the player the adult in the situation. Yeah, yeah, makes them the responsible one. It's given the right, given the what is it, the egg to the kid in high school. Oh, yeah, you remember oh, the, the, egg the bag the of flour. flour? I, think, I never had to do that. Thankfully. I think I didn't. Have I guess, to do I, it I guess I'm going to fail as a father. <laughs> I think yeah. that's something that so, died in the 80s. Oh, man. Well, it's good. Uh, so back to episode four. There's a couple other things I want to talk about. One is when they go raid the enemy camp, uh, they get pinned down, but then they notice that uh, the blaster bolts are going through the wall, and then they shoot their way out and of the wall that that's how they escape so this is another tool you can use when there's a stale combat situation or there's a combat situation where it looks like the party's gonna die um this is the sort of thing you can just say like uh you like like uh what's your passive perception uh so you notice that the blaster shots are going through the wall behind you clean through punching a neat hole and then hopefully then the player then goes oh Okay, well, I'm I'm just you know I'm gonna I'm gonna magic missile this wall down. As the DM, you have the luxury of being able to use the environment to provide uh, solutions to uh, the situation. Yeah, it's the DM's responsibility to keep the action moving. The players can certainly do it, but they're not the ones running the game. So you have to add something interesting or move the story forward through some descriptive narration. Yeah, and then the other thing about this episode is it has a boss battle, basically. It has 
you know, which is different than the other episodes so far. The other episodes, there's been like you fight a horde of goblins and then you fight another horde of goblins. So whether the goblins are stormtrooper goblins or bounty hunter goblins or whatever, it's been goblins up until this point. But this episode has a monster in it. Yeah, the ATST. And I thought what they did with this is really clever. Because if you watch the original trilogy, the ATSTs are kind of lame. Those right? are the ones that the Ewoks that the Ewoks kill with logs in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, the yeah yeah the little little walkers. The, if you watch the original trilogy, they're they're a bit of a joke. But in this show, The Mandalorian, they make it so menacing. Right? They always are looking up at it. Every shot is looking up, and it has this m- mean set of red eyes. Looks yeah. scary, and they help redefine it as not this silly. Uh, machine that can be taken out by like fuzzy bears right it's all about uh scale so Mm -hmm. on this planet where there's you know no cities just villages you know no other armored attack vehicles and the atst is the the alpha predator and it honestly that's one of the things that felt really uh like firefly about this episode Mm -hmm. um like i mean there's a lot of things about the mandalorian that feel like firefly but this episode in particular where it's like the the monster of the week is something that might have seemed like uh you know a smaller deal in a bigger battlefield but the battlefield is now small Mm -hmm. so the atsd is big in comparison now they do more to this atsd than just some clever description what they do is they also say that like we cannot take down this atsd blaster fire will not work we have to come up with a interesting plan a way to take it down that is outside the means of just attacking it by saying oh your swords don't work against this guy anymore or your arrows are deflected you are telling them that you need to come up with a better means of attack that makes a threat seem scary and you kind of have to break the rules in order to do that in the game. Uh, because an, an adult red dragon, by the rules, could be taken out with a horde of cats. You could have a bunch of cats take down a dragon. And that really minimizes the scariness of a dragon. If you can imagine like a cat's claw catching under its scales and having enough of that take it down. It's much scarier to say... A cat's claw cannot damage a dragon, even though by the rules, Mm -hmm. if that cat rolls a 19, it does one damage. You can make that dragon scarier by saying, nope, cat's claw claw can't do it. Your little dagger can't do it. You need something better. Break the rules of the game for better narrative. Yeah. Pretty much always. That's a good one, Peter. That's the golden rule there. Yeah. You don't want to be a slave to the rules because that creates... Bad players and bad GMs. Okay, so they got this big bad ATST, and they have stated that normal blaster fire is not going to work, you know? And so they have to come up with a novel solution to take it down. And they come up with, they say, okay, we'll dig this this pond out, and we'll, you know, we'll get it to step into this really deep hole. So that makes the goals of the big boss battle really defined, which is get it to step into the pond. And you can be creative about how to do that, but ultimately it makes things more straightforward than just wail on it until you prevail. Yeah, we've said this before, 
but you gotta have secondary objectives during your combat. It makes it way more exciting, way more fun than, oh, we have to kill 20 goblins? All right, let's do mm-hmm. attack rolls 20 times. Um, and the other thing that is, that's good about having the big, the big boss, this ATSD, is that the big monster is the battle. So when the big monster goes down, once it's destroyed, all the minions run away. Well, that goes back to what we, were, we talked about for the first episode of The Mandalorian, where they have this big turret gun that he's able to use to lay waste to a bunch of, you know, a bunch of baddies, and then the fight's over. After all these big tasks, the side jobs are complete. It's very important that you have a conclusion for these episodic uh, sessions or these one shots because they have to end at that point you cannot continue on to the next week so it's very important to get the player's satisfaction get that ending so they can walk away and feel like they've completed a full story you have to be mm-hmm. kind of flexible with what the players have done like they've made choices they should have consequences and most importantly they should feel like they have agency like what they did mattered so what I always do is I try to have epilogues with these one-shots because you can just say, all right, this is done. This is what happened because of your actions. Does anyone have anything to add? And we see mm-hmm. the good conclusions in the end of uh, episode four, five, and six. Now, five and six don't have like the expected endings, but they're still endings. They're affected by the player's decisions. Right, the the arcs the arcs for the side characters come to a close. Yes, exactly. Right, and this could be either scenes, little epilogue scenes, or even just talking through it. You know, a conversation, a dialogue with with the party about what you know happens next and what they would like to do next. You know, I think about um, the uh, the session you you DM'd our, uh, my, a minor kobold problem mm-hmm. where uh, you guys the party defeated the dragon and then sort of talked through like like what would we do next and it you know developed this you know pretty rich pretty rich history about teaching the kobolds uh how how uh capitalism works and Mm -hmm. like putting them all to work and like having an industry um and uh that's what i remember from that episode honestly you know more than any particular thing that happened in the battle so if the gunslinger is a 60s western episode uh, the prisoner is a dungeon crawl, or at least yeah. uh, the first half kind of is. Mm-hmm. I don't know how'd you how'd you how'd you feel about this episode? I mean, the first half is super D and D because you have your you have your actual like team full of players, each with their own roles, and you are going through this confined space like a dungeon. Mm-hmm. But then it turns, and the second half is you know horror alien i do have one thing to say about this episode which is that bill burr is in star wars now yeah when he turned around i was like okay anybody can be in star wars now yeah i did not see it coming uh i did not biggest surprise of the mandalorian bill burr is in star wars it's I saw an I saw an interview with him and he was kind of added as a joke. Can you see him? I could just see Bill Burr sitting on his couch going, "I can't believe they're gonna put me in Star Wars. That's crazy." Yeah, well, he was so talking- fucking crazy. Can you believe it? Fucking Star Wars, man. I mean, that was that's the interview right there. Okay, so they have this crew <laughs> led by Bill Burr. Uh, this this is a pretty standard like 
D and D sort of crew. I, at least that's what I saw. You have uh, basically, the, you know, the, they call them the heavy, but basically like a barbarian tank. Uh, the droid's kind of like a ranger, maybe. Uh, the lady is one hundred percent a rogue, mm-hmm. like super rogue. Which you know, some of our audience might not be so familiar with rogues because they are banned on day players. So you'll never hear anyone play a rogue on this show. Anyways, there's a lot of dungeon mechanics I noticed as well. Like uh, they have to do a stealth to approach, and then they have to pick the lock on mm-hmm. the sh- spaceship door to get in. Um, he has to escape his cell through creative means. Mm-hmm. There's also a NBC to interact with in this dungeon. Someone you mean to the, talk the to. The human? Yeah, there's one human, someone to interact with, someone to give you that moral choice, just like before, of do you kill him? Do you let him alive? Right. Right, right, right. With a few extra traps, it'd totally be a dungeon in the first half. And then second half, uh, the the Xenomorphian. The Xenomorph-Lorian? <laughs> Xenomorph-Lorian. The Xenomorph-Lorian hunts down his former uh, crew members. Puts them in a cell instead of killing them. Spoiler alert. Uh, yeah, so that's, so that's the end of Act 2, then. Those mm-hmm. three... You know, quote-unquote filler episodes. Mm -hmm. And now we're on to Act 3, the last two, which are The Reckoning and... uh, I forget what the last one's called. Redemption. Redemption, that's right. Okay, It's the conclusion to our Mandalorian Season 1. But broadly, I I felt like these episodes weren't as much D&D-like as the other ones. They felt more like a TV show to me. Yeah, a lot Um, of cool action scenes, some, like, you know... Finishing off the season, getting you the, like the last little things you want, like the jetpack, the Mandalorian's name, the Mandalorian's face, the redemption mm-hmm. of the bounty hunting droid. There, there's some D and D things for sure. Again, yeah. rounding up the crew. He does yeah. like a galactic crew roundup. Yeah, he brings the um, team together for the big job. Yeah. Yeah, and we're, it, we're and we're kind of treating these as we're, I think we're going to kind of talk about these as one. Yeah, thing, yeah. It's a two-parter episode, you know. It's yeah, mostly it, the same. It thing. feels like one thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But one thing we can learn from it is th- how the main villain is introduced and how you can use that to make your villains more interesting. You mean the new villain? The new right? villain. You mean the yes, breaking the yes. Breaking Bad guy? Yeah, the guy from Breaking Bad. He is now the villain. Because Herzog, he's gone. Spoiler alert. Probably, yeah. Yeah. They took care to make sure you could see yeah. daylight shining through him. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It was quick, shot. but there was a hole all the way through that guy. Wow. Yeah. He's probably not going to come back. But they introduced the yeah. new villain, Moff Gideon. The boss of the old villain. And there's a lot of cool things that they do that you could do for your villains. You had the original villain. And it's like, oh, he's pretty scary. He's got a lot of Imperial troops, you know. Oh, man, how are you going to deal with him? And then they go, oh, you thought he was a big deal? We got an even bigger deal, the boss. His boss is so bad, he killed the previous villain just to prove how how bad he is. Yeah, so his troops have, like, pristine armor. They're clean, so you know that these guys are scarier. He, uh... right. He is a much bigger deal. He talks to the players. He does negotiations, which is something you should do with your villains and something I do with mine to separate them from just monsters. Because a monster you can't Mm -hmm. talk to, a monster you can't rationalize with. 
A monster doesn't have motivation. Right. Moff Gideon has obvious motivations. Right. And you also, it's good to remember, and this is something that I forget all the time, which is that talking is a free action in combat. So you can have, you know, if your villains are vocal, you know, you could have them say things in between rounds. I, and honestly, I need, to, I need to do that a lot more. That's a, I, I, I watched this, I was like, oh, yeah, I should, there should be dialogue that would mm-hmm. make uh, the combat feel less monotonous. It makes it more than just combat. Adds another level to it. Mm-hmm. It adds story to mm-hmm. it. The other thing to pull interest is props. Don't just have a villain that just is in a dark robe. Give them things that make the players ask, where did they get that? How do they have it? What does it do? And we see that in the ending scene with the dark blade or the dark saber. I don't remember its name. Is that what it's called? Yeah, it's some like, it, there's a lot of lore behind it. It was made by the one Mandalorian Jedi. Mm. Um, but it does, it draws the players in to want to know more. Like, why do they have it? What are they going to do with it? You're talking about the, the basically that you're talking about the tag scene, essentially the yes. last, the last scene mm-hmm. where he, he cuts his way out of his crashed, uh, tie fighter. Yeah. So the Mandalorian doesn't know that, but we, as the audience and perhaps the players would know that and see that and want to know more. And thus they become more of a villain that they would want to fight against not just to stop, but just to learn more and continue the story. Right. He's got a, he's got an interesting magic item. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I liked is that uh, before he gets off, uh, Werner Herzog's villain character gets a chance to make a argument for the Empire. You know, his justification for it. And, you know, he essentially says, like, you know, the Empire made everything better. You know, it made things cleaner and more efficient and, you know. Now it's barbarism out there. Do you? Does it seem like it's better to you? So I think that is something that's really important: is to give your villains a reasonable motivation. Like there's a line somewhere in the beginning of The Wolf of Wall Street where he says something to the effect of, "You know, I you know I was stealing this money from people, but I deserved it because I knew how to spend it better than they did," and. You go, okay, he's still a bad guy, but who among us has not had that thought? Like, you see mm-hmm. a story about somebody spending a bunch of money on a dumb thing, and you're like, well, if I had that money, I would know how to, to spend it better. So I think that the most interesting villains are going to be the ones that you give a chance to make a case for, you know, for what they're, what they're doing. You can't just have evil for the sake of evil. Your villains are people, too. If you have a villain and they have a motivation uh, that you can empathize with a little bit, that makes them a much better villain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It, it doesn't have to be good enough to sway the players, but it has to be good enough to make it seem believable. A villain, the reason why they're so scary is you, you kind of understand, and you can kind of see a little bit of yourself in them as well. Very well said, Peter. Um, okay, do we want to talk about uh, some of the other... Was that all the big points, or is there... Because I have some little... <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I just... I have these little things. Yeah, the big part of the, the last two episodes was just the villain for me, because everything else was just kind of right. action scenes. You know, you had Easter eggs and just 
solving little problems, which uh, we yeah. Did you about. did you hear when the when 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 Cara Dune is like you know oh my god they're gonna they're gonna send me to the mind flayer and I was like Easter egg yeah that's a D and D Easter egg right there yeah it was sweet and then I loved hearing it. So another thing about this two-parter episode is that we're coming back to a familiar environment, but things have changed now. You know, when they go into the town, there's a bunch more stormtroopers, right? It's like the, the political power has shifted in this town. When he goes back to the Mandalorian hideout, they're all either gone or, or dead, which their fate was a little vague, mm-hmm. to me at least, but it's more about the emotion rather than the, the logic. And that sort of thing, I, I think, comes up in D&D all the time, because in your campaign, it's really hard to avoid having logical holes in the story of some sort, just because D&D is such a fluid thing, and the suspension of disbelief is usually a little bit bigger than it is for you know movies and that's why again it's i think it's about the emotion you're like oh all the mandalorians are gone all their mm-hmm. helmets are on the ground it's about that image and what how it makes you feel rather than about necessarily a clear answer to what happened to them and if you can do both great but remember you know the more important one is how it makes your party feel yeah you know, this isn't this isn't risk and it's Dungeons and Dragons. That's right. And scenes with feelings behind them are much more memorable than scenes without. I guess the last thing I have to say about it is the <clears throat> how this is the end of the season. And we're given the context of the adventure for the next season. Getting the baby Yoda to the Jedi. Or to his, his species, maybe. That's his not, species. Uh, that's not entirely clear, but yeah, yeah she says you have to... You have the, to re- the, like, elder Mandalorian says you have to reunite him. You have to return this baby Yoda back to their people. Right. And this is really important in terms of getting the players excited for the next season or thinking about the next season. Right. Because um, I, nowadays, I, when I run long campaign games, I don't think of them as continually going on and doing like 30 sessions in a row i think of them as eight to ten session chunks as in seasons Mm. so that way we can have a a beginning middle and end for that season and a context for that adventure Mm -hmm. and i try to at the end of each season tell them what the next season will be about so that that way it's in their minds it's in their heads and when we jump back into it, that they already know what's going to happen. Right. And that they've already thought about things that they want to do in the next season so they can just keep the story moving forward. Right. But but it's not a it's not a cliffhanger, though. A cliffhanger would be that the, the, the there's no resolution. You know, <laughs> we're left unresolved. And there's little cliffhangers. But overall, it's like the season, the arc has come to an end. And now we know what the quest goal is for the next season Mm -hmm. yes and yeah you're right to call it different from a cliffhanger because a cliffhanger is really bad for between seasons it's Uh, good for between as much as they as much as they do it yeah i hate it every time you get me so excited for this show and you have some cliffhanger or you hang a reveal for next year's season it just makes me feel shitty right. and by the time that year right. rolls around it's like oh yeah i forgot they're gonna reveal that talking yeah. D campaign wise and if you do seasons ending it on a cliffhanger when you're not guaranteed another season like you and your friends might all say yeah let's gather around and play this some more but that's not a guarantee 
The other thing is that ending everything in a cliffhanger doesn't reward your players for completing the quest. Yeah, that's right. Doesn't give them that good conclusion. And uh, and speaking of conclusions, I I felt like the way that the season is wrapped up at the end, like really fast on the spot, felt a lot like D&D to me. Um, (laughs) I think in a bad way for television, uh, because it was one of those things where... They like okay. We sh- they shoot down the Tie Fighter. Big Bad is is vanquished. Literally seconds after that happened, they're like, "Well, I'm glad everything is fixed. I think we this town will go back to normal." And then side characters like, "I think I'm gonna stay and become like a deputy here." And then the Mandalorian's like, "I'm gonna go. I have to return this baby to his people." But it felt to me very D and D like because. In a lot of cases, it's like, oh, yeah, you destroyed the dragon, and now we talk about... Yeah. Now it's like, well... What are you I'm going gonna, to I'm do, gonna go, Grindolf? Yeah, I'm going to go join that monastery right there on the hill. I think I'm going to hit the road again. There's more dragons to slay. Yeah, so that that felt like D&D to me um, in, in, a, in a way that's fine in D&D and you know, a little lamer in TV. Um, Another thing that felt like that to me sort of was uh, IG-11, the the, uh, the bounty hunting robot. They have that conversation about like it sacrificing itself. That to me also felt like D&D in like a not good way for both. Cause like, it was a little confusing to me. Like the, like I, I get it, but there was like a lot of back and forth about like, isn't your original programming to kill? Yes, but my new programming is to be a caretaker. And therefore, I need you to tell me to go back to my original programming so that I can fulfill my new programming. It felt, when I was watching that, I was like, this definitely feels like when I'm the DM and I'm not handling the plot scene very well. And it's like (laughs) gone on a couple of exchanges too long. And it's like, you know, the, and the thing I take from that is having a simple dramatic situation is fine, often better. You know, even it feels overly simplistic, that that's probably where the sweet spot actually is because clarity is important oh yeah and um, yeah. with D games anything that can save time at the table you kind of need mm-hmm. since scenes always yeah. take way longer than you expect let's see uh other things that sort of that sort of stuck out as D ish were um the this is maybe just a thing that i like to do but uh i like to do like overkills you know, when they hit uh, a, an enemy that has, like, 1 HP left and they hit him for, like, 13 HP, I'm like, okay, they're going to get a creative description of how they vanquish this this foe. And I thought when the stormtrooper gets thrown into the furnace and, like, Wilhelm screams, he literally just gets, like, vaporized, like a, like a block of butter going onto a hot pan, just... And I was like, yeah, furnace overkill. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a cool yeah. fight scene. Yeah. And also, I realize that the Mandalorian's been... He has this visor that he's used it several times where he, like, turns it on and, like, sees footprints or, like, uh, you know, heat signatures behind a wall. And I was like, this is, a, this is like, an investigation check is what that is. It's like when you... Hmm. Or a perception check. It's like when the player actually chooses to roll for perception or investigation. It's cool. It's a cool narrative tool to tie in-game like mechanics with the description yeah yeah exactly um another thing that felt to me like a D scene in i don't know if it's a bad way or a good way but when they're they're in the mandalorian cave with the the like mandalorian 
elder, the the, the blacksmith, mm-hmm. and and she's like, "You must go, but first let me give you this thing." And then she's like, "Leave now, but also take more ammo." And it's like that <laughs> to me felt a lot like like I've been in situations like that as the DM where I'm like, "Let's get the story moving," but then yeah. oh wait, I also should give him that thing. It's like yeah. not having the not having your 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 stuff planned out. Yeah. I, I've ended up doing stuff like that. It, yeah, and it's also like they just had a battle, and you're like, oh, I want them to fight Moff Gideon again. Oh, man, they're low on resources. Uh, here's some stuff. Absolutely. You're, you're, you're totally right about that. And also, he gets the, that's when he gets the rocket pack. Yeah. which And then he then gets a chance to use it. As we said about the whistling birds, you know, it's like you give them a new spell, you give them a new weapon got to give him an opportunity to use it have to give him opportunity so that's the mandalorian and uh they've certainly got me excited for the second season yeah uh next year i should say next year later in 2020 later in 2020 that's right it is 2020 now so uh welcome to the new decade everybody so that's our thoughts on what we can learn from the mandalorian to make us better D &D, uh players yeah this was really fun to analyze um i it's not often that I get to tell people my opinions on D&D within the context of a show. Yeah, and it's not often that um, Star Wars gets critiqued or analyzed in, in any way. So <laughs> I think we're doing something really unique here. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> if, if you have a show or a movie that you think is really D&D-like or want to hear analyzed within the you know context of D&D, let us know. Throw a comment at us. Hit us up on Instagram, Twitter. Reddit. Yeah, whatever platform. Yeah. Reach out to us. Uh, we're definitely going to try some more of these these content analysis uh, episodes. This was fun. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram as at DayPlayersCast. And on Reddit, we're just DayPlayers. Um, and, you know, recommend us to a friend. Rate and review. We're trying to grow the show, and we appreciate every fan that we have. Anything, anything else, Peter? No, I think that's it. Thanks for listening. I hope our lessons on D&D make your games much better and more fun. So happy adventuring, and our regular episode will be out at the normal time this Sunday. I'm Paxton Farrar, and uh, thanks for listening. I'm Peter Lansdahl, and good gaming. Good gaming.